I know exactly how it feels to have to reach up and grab one of them high notes at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's not an easy thing, for sure. You did good, Chelsea. Real good. All right, we're going to pray and that the Lord would bless our time, that he would bless our reading of his word. Father, we love you. We come before you today, and we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, we ask that you would be with us today as we uh, read in your word. God, we're looking into your holy word, looking into what you've given us, what you've shown us. We ask that you would teach us today and that you would, um, you would help us to do your will, help us to learn what you'd have, and most of all, to, to come into your presence today as we, uh, as we read your word. We thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the book of Philippians, we're going to hopefully, I'm, I'm probably, I'm thinking, I'm hoping anyway, that we're going to get to walk through Philippians the same way we did First John. It, we'll see what the Lord, um, if he leads us in a different direction, we'll go that way. Um, but in this uh, first part of Philippians here, the book, let me give you just kind of a little introduction. We, uh, um, Philippians was, uh, uh, the founding of the Philippian church was something you can read about in Acts. Paul himself founded the church. It was uh, a little different from some of the other letters that he wrote because he knew these people. You can see there's a big, there's a love between uh, the Philippians and, and between Paul. And uh, you can, you know, uh, if you read in Acts, Paul was, uh, you know, he was on his missionary journey. He was about in Asia Minor. He was going uh, through cities like Lystra and Iconium and, and like that. And he was getting run out of every city, getting beaten and all those things. And he tried to go north to Bithynia and the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him. He was hindered. Uh, he tried to go east to the province of Asia. He was also hindered by the Holy Spirit. And, and uh, Paul was wondering, well, what, am I do, what do I do next? And that's when he received a vision from God. They call it the Macedonian call, where a man from Macedonia appeared to him and said, come over and help us. Paul took that as a sign of the Lord. It was the Lord speaking. And he went to Macedonia to preach. The first place he stopped is this little Roman colony called Philippi. Uh, and so you can read about the first three conversions. It really doesn't show us how the church founded, where they met, but it shows us the first three conversions that we have in Philippi. The first one, you probably know them as well as I do. First one was Lydia, the seller of purple. Uh, the second one was this demon possessed girl that kept following Paul and Silas around saying, these are the men that, uh, bring, bring the, the word of eternal life. And Paul rebuked that demon and it got him inside of thrown in prison. And the third conversion in Philippi was the Philippian jailer. And that's where the, the earthquake shook the jail and all the doors opened and none of the prisoners left. And the Philippian jailer and his household were saved. And so the, that was, um, the, the beginning of this church in Philippi and uh, this church loved Paul. They, they loved Paul because he had been there with them. He had ministered with them. He had watched them begin to grow. He'd watched them. He, he was the founder, uh, so to speak, as he was the first one to bring the gospel to Philippi. He was the first one to bring the gospel. He was the first missionary to ever preach there. And he began the, the, the kind of ministry that was uh, going on there in Philippi. And, um, What's going on here is we, we begin in the very first verse of the first chapter of Philippians is Paul is now, this is probably 10, 15 years later, Paul is now in prison, probably in Rome. This is at the end of Acts where um, Paul is waiting to see uh, the emperor because of uh, uh, all the things that have gone on there toward the end of the book of Acts. And the Philippians who loved Paul, they heard that Paul was in jail. And you ever had those that kind of feeling like, 
you know, God, I don't understand what you're doing. Everything's not going the way it's supposed to go. This is not the way things are supposed to happen. The, you know, it, sometimes it feels like the world's coming out from under you and like good is, is, is said to be evil and evil is said to be good. And it looks like the, the, the people who don't love God are in, in control and they're winning. And it looks like the gospel is suffering loss. And the people in Philippi were, they were concerned that Paul was in jail and that, you know, this guy who had brought the gospel, this missionary who had come and was basically one of the, one of the strongest mouthpieces for God, uh, in bringing the gospel was now in prison. And at this time, they didn't know whether he was going to get out alive or not. Paul himself didn't know whether he was going to get out alive or not. And so they were concerned. So what they did was all this is in the book and we'll get to it. I'm just giving you kind of a quick overview. They sent this man named Epaphroditus and we'll get to that when we get to it. Uh, it might've been the pastor, might've been just somebody in the church. We don't know. They sent him with a gift to Paul. We don't exactly know what the gift is, but we'll get to it when we get to it. And what happened was Epaphroditus got really sick. He got really sick. Like back then you get sick and it could kill you. You know, they don't have medicine like, like we do today, but he got really sick. And so the Philippians found out that not only is Paul in prison, but the guy we sent to give Paul a gift in prison and to minister to him in prison is sick and almost dying. And so now they're doubly worried, like the whole world's falling apart. Well, Epaphroditus does recover and Paul sends Epaphroditus back to Philippi with this letter, with the letter to the Philippians. And this letter is all about, it's all about the advancement of the gospel. All that to say this, it's all about the advancement of the gospel. We are to rejoice in the fact that the gospel is moving forward. There's, joy is a, is, a, is a huge theme in the book of Philippians. We're going to see it over and over again. We are to rejoice, but just rejoicing when everything's going good is not the theme of Philippians. Because right now, Paul's in jail. They're worried about him. They don't understand what's going on. And he's going to tell them over and over again, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice with joy. Do this with joy. Over and over again, joy in the fact that the gospel is moving forward. Paul says, look, I'm in chains, but even though I'm in chains, the the gospel is still moving forward. So we rejoice the fact that I'm in chains. He's going to say that over and over again. He's going to give us themes like unity. You, you guys in Philippi, even though I'm here in prison, you need to be united in love with each other. You need to be humble and serve one another. All these things are going to come up as we go through the book of Philippians. So it's all about the advancement of the gospel, even in the midst of the worst things that could possibly be happening. Even when you look out over, over the horizon or you see the news or you hear the, hear the reports and it just seems like things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. It seems like the world is turned upside down. Even in those times, we rejoice in the fact that God still has his people and his kingdom is still moving forward. Even when it's in my own life, you can look at the news and all the bad things going on in the world and you can say, wow, it's not the way it should be. And it's easy for us to say, you know what? I'm going to rejoice anyway, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. But even when it's in your life, even when you're the one sitting in prison, even when you're the one who left home to go do this good deed for this missionary and you end up on your sick bed, maybe your deathbed, not understanding what's going on, you still rejoice in the fact that the gospel is going forward. And so that's kind of the theme of what we're going to see in, uh, in, uh, in the book of Philippians. So the reality was I wanted to, let me just read the first uh, 11 verses. 
I'm not probably going to get past the first two. I was going to just breeze past this introduction because it's just pretty much the same as you hear in others. But there were a couple of phrases that stuck out to me. I want to make sure that I, that I emphasize. So let me just read the beginning. The first two verses is the, his introduction to the letter like you would write on the front of an envelope. Uh, and then three through 11 is his thanksgiving for them. He said, Paul and Timotheus. The servants, that's Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you in peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel. This is why he's thanking God for them. And it does it with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he which begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is, even as it is meet for me to think of you all, he says, it's good for me to think this way of you because I have you in my heart in so much as both in my bonds. That's where he's at in prison and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. That's why he's in prison. You all are partakers of my grace for God is my record. How greatly I Long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. This is his prayer for them that ye may approve things that are excellent that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Jesus Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Now I was going to just kind of skip over the first two verses and uh, preach the verse three through 11 to you. But there's two phrases in that first verse that just grabbed hold of my attention and it, it wouldn't let me get past them. And so I just want to preach that very first verse to you. And I'm not going to go this slow through the whole book, but I just want you to see this very, there's uh, there's two phrases in this first verse that you and I need to comprehend before we go any further. Uh, the first one, the first one is servants of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ. Uh, in almost every letter that Paul writes, he gives an, an introduction and almost every letter it says apostle. He, he's putting forth his credentials. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm Paul the apostle. Paul the apostle writing to the, the whoever. Now, there's two letters in Romans and in Titus, he says, I'm a servant, Paul, the servant of God, but he also includes the word apostle, apostle and servant of God. This is the only letter where he just says, Paul, servant of God, servant of Jesus Christ. That's it. He doesn't say apostle. He doesn't invoke the authority of apostle, although they clearly know he is an apostle because he, he began the church there uh, by ministering first in Philippi. He says, Paul and Timothy servants of Jesus Christ, no apostle. It, it kind of struck me there that this is perhaps the only letter in the new Testament that Paul wrote that the word apostle doesn't appear in the introduction as he introduced himself. And I wondered why, well, when you, when you introduce yourself, when it, you need to be relevant to what you're speaking to, let me tell you what I mean by that. If I go give a lecture at a college somewhere, an academic lecture, and I say, well, good morning. It's nice to see everyone. My name is Jason. Uh, I, I like to play the guitar and I do it pretty well. They would think, what in the world does that have to do with you giving a lecture at, at a college? Or if I'm uh, at the hospital and I go to a, a, a grief um, counseling group 
And I walk in and I say, hey, everybody, I'm Jason. I'm Jacob's dad. They're going to be like, oh, okay. Hey, Jacob's dad. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you introduce yourself that way? I'd say, I'm Jason. I'm one of the chaplains here at the hospital. I'm here to help you. And then, you know, I would introduce myself in a relevant way. Paul introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ because the whole time in Philippians, he's going to be telling them, you need to submit to Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of the bad things that are going on, they're worried about him being in prison. They're worried about what's going to happen if he loses his life. They're worried about the gospel going forth and it looks like everything is coming against them. Everything is down on their head. Everything is just uh, building up against them like a wall and they're not going to be able to overcome it. And it just seems like everything is lost and it seems like everything is bleak and there's no hope for anything. He needs them to understand that, yes, I am in a Roman jail right now. He's probably in house arrest at, at this time, but I am in a Roman cell right now. But I'm not a prisoner of the Romans. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. And I'm here in these bonds because of him. I'm here in these bonds because I have chosen to give my allegiance to him. I've chosen to be his servant. I've chosen to be his slave. I've chosen to do what he has called me to do. He says, um, Paul, Paul and Timothy, we're writing this to you. It's Paul that wrote it, but Timothy was with him. Paul says, we're the servants of Jesus Christ. It was, it was pertinent to them. It was relevant that they understood that, look, I understand what you're going through. Epaphroditus had come. He had told them all about the worries that you have, all about the things that were going on in Philippi and all of all the, the fretting they were going through, all the things that they were thinking. And Paul is going to write them a letter encouraging them, telling them to submit to the Lordship of Christ tell them to fight for the gospel and telling them to submit to him and to be joyful in the fact that they have the gospel and the kingdoms going forward. Are you with me? Say something. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. The gospel is advancing. He's right where Jesus wants him. Now that word servant, when you think of a servant, the word servant, you usually think of, I don't know, uh, maybe a butler or a maid or somebody with a government job, like who's supposed to be a servant of the public, you know. I remember being, when I used to work at Walmart when I was in college uh, in Martin, um, I worked in the fish and the, the sporting goods. They were right next to each other. And uh, I wasn't a very good person. I wasn't a very good employee, for one thing. But people would come. I don't know if they still, I don't guess they sell fish anymore. But people would come and there would be a, ta- a fish tank full with like a thousand of these little fish that all look the same. I mean, exactly the same. And people would come and they would say, I want that fish right there. And of course I'm in there and I'd get one and they said, no, that's not the one. How you know? And I, the, the reason this pops, popped in my mind was one time I was like, will you just take the fish? I mean, it's a fish. And I got in trouble because my, the manager person came up and said, now you're a servant of the public. And, and I was never a good servant of the public because the public, well, anyway. <clears throat> when you think of the word servant, that's what you think of. You know, it's somebody who their occupation is to serve, you know, a butler, a maid, a, a groundskeeper, a, you know, they, they, they're serving. That's really, that, that is the idea here. Paul was a servant. He had given his life to his occupation was to spread the gospel and to move the kingdom. But the idea here is more like 
what we would call a slave. It's someone who's not just performing a service. It's someone who is owned by another person. It's someone whose master is, he he is wrapped up in the life of his master. Sometimes he's called, this word is translated as a bond servant or someone who has been purchased, someone who has been bought. So when Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ, he's not just saying, hey guys, we, we work for Christ. I mean, that is what he's saying and that is what he did. But he's saying, we are owned by Jesus Christ. Our life is wrapped up in the will of our master. We go where he says to go. We do what he says to do. What his will is, is our command. What he says, that's where we'll be. And Paul knew for a fact that they were worried that he was in a Roman jail and that he wanted to make sure they knew we're here. I'm here because Jesus Christ And his gospel has led me here and I'm to be a witness here just like I was a witness there. Later on in the book of Philippians, we're going to see the fact that Paul says that because I am here, all of Caesar's household has heard the gospel. All of the people that are there in in Rome, where he probably wrote this letter from, have heard the gospel because they are because Paul is there in chains. God has sent Paul to Rome. He came to him in Acts in a vision and saying, said to Paul, don't worry, you're going to give the gospel before kings and before the Gentiles. And he came to him in a vision and said, you're going to go to Rome. And you're going to preach the gospel there in front of kings, in front of all these people. And so when he says a servant of Jesus Christ, he's saying, you know, we are slaves. We are in chains now. We're not in Roman chains. We're not bound by all the things of this world. We're not worried about how things are going to turn out or what's going to happen in my life. How am I going to get through this situation? How's the world going to turn out for good? He's not worried about any of those things. I'm not in those kind of chains. The only chains that I'm bound by are those that have been put on me by my true master. And that is Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, the one who is God overall. And so Paul says, Paul says, we are, we are slaves. We are slaves to Christ. Now, when you hear the word servant, you're thinking, you know, that's, that's kind of an okay word. Do I want to be a servant of Christ? Most of us are going to say, yeah. You know, I want to serve Christ. I want to get out there and do something. That's what we think. I want to get out there and do something. I want to, you know, I want, I want to get out there and work for him. And and that's absolutely what we're supposed to think. So there's nothing wrong with that. But all of us, I I could probably bring in a hundred more people and say, you know what? Do you want to be a servant of Christ? And all of them would say, you know, I really do. I really do want to be a servant of Christ. That word servant, it has a, you know, it's okay. It's kind of a, it doesn't really offend anybody. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt. But when you say slave, do I want to be a slave of Christ? Now that word, it just kind of feels negative, doesn't it? There's something inside me that says, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, some, some, when I said that word slave, some of y'all, you, you felt that right there. It says, ah, come on now, slave. I mean, that might be taken a little too far. I don't know if I want to be a slave. We don't want to give up our will. You know, I want to serve Jesus Christ as long as it's me serving Jesus Christ. As long as it's me saying, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to do. That gives me a back door that I can back out at any time. You know, I I can say, you know what? Well, I have served Jesus Christ today, so now I'm going to take it easy. I have served Jesus Christ for the past three years. So you know what? I'm just going to knock off and have a break today. A servant can do that. 
But we're talking about a slave here. A slave's identity is wrapped up in their master. When he says move, you move. When he says go, you go. When he says work, you work. You exist to serve your master. You're owned by your master. So when you say the word slave, you're thinking, well, that might be a little tough. I mean, that might be a little pushing it just a little too far. I mean, I don't know if I'm ready to be a slave, but that's what Paul was saying here. I am owned by Christ. He is, he is my master. And, and even that, even if we take it that far, we could say, you know what? Okay. I want to be, I want to be a slave to Christ. I want to be a slave to his will, which means when he says, go, I go. When he says do, I do. What he says that I should be thinking is what I want to be thinking. What he says I should not do is what I don't want to do. I want to be a slave to Christ. We can say that in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own person, right? We can do that. And we want to do that. There's something in us because if the Holy Spirit lives in you, there's something in us that wants to do that. But you need to take this just a little step further. But Paul is not just thinking about his thoughts and his actions. He is, of course, he's thinking about his whole life. I mean, there's a good chance that he's never going to get out of this prison alive. There's a good chance that his life now is over and he has gone willingly to Rome. He has gone willingly to this prison in order to preach the gospel because he's a slave of Christ. Now, let me ask you, are you ready? If Christ says, Son, daughter, I'm, I want you to go to prison. And I want you to be a minister to me. I'm not talking about doing, quote, prison ministry. That's a great thing. There's nothing wrong with that. We're told to do that, to go and visit those in prison. I'm talking about if something really bad happens to you and for the name of Christ, you are persecuted and thrown into a prison cell. Would you say, thank God I am here to be a minister for Christ? To be honest with you, I told you Wednesday night I saw that sign. There's some people that say, I mean, you, you, there's some people that say I'm ready to die for Jesus Christ, but they're not ready to go to church for him. They're not ready to deny. I mean, you, you, you say, we talk about, you know, well, the government, this and the government, that, and the world's going bad and we're going to have to stand up and fight. Most people won't even stand up and fight against their laziness. Most people won't even stand up and fight against their own mind or their own heart, their own wants, their own desires, their own comfort. Most people won't even fight against that. Are you telling me you're going to fight against people with machine guns when you won't even fight against your own comfort? You won't even fight against your own pleasure? Are you insane? You're not going to fight against people with machine guns. You know what you're going to do? You're going to stay home and you're not going to go anywhere. You know why? Because this little bitty enemy called pleasure, this little bitty enemy called comfort, he's kept you home for a long time. Don't expect me to believe when the army comes that you're going to stand up and somehow be a superhero when you can't even fight against your own little heart, your own little recliner. It doesn't make much sense, does it? Paul's saying here, I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a slave to him. When he says move, I move. It doesn't matter if I'm fighting against Caesar. It doesn't matter if I'm fighting against Rome. It doesn't matter if I'm fighting against all the people that want to stone me and kill me and run me out of this city and run me out of that city. And it don't matter if I'm fighting against my own heart that tells me I shouldn't be here. That my own heart that tells me, you know what, I could have a good life if I would have just kept my mouth shut. 
When, when any of those enemies comes after me, I tell you, I am a slave of Christ. That's what Paul would say. When he says, go, I go. When he says, move, I move. It doesn't matter who else tells me. It doesn't matter if my own flesh tells me that it's not a good idea. It's not what I should be doing. You know, it's not that big a deal. I can take a break. I mean, I'm the apostle Paul. Look at what I've, all I've done. Are you kidding? You think I still have to go out on a limb? I'm Paul. Look, I've done way more than you have. I've done way more than you have. God has worked through me in a way that he, he hadn't worked in none of y'all. So I deserve a break today. I deserve to take my time. I deserve to kind of back off and let somebody else take the reins of this thing. That's not what Paul would say. He's in prison for preaching the gospel. That's why he's there. Go through Acts and you'll show. But by Acts 20, 21, he gets arrested from the rest of that time. Trial, jail, trial, jail. Trial, jail, preaching the gospel, and he chooses to be there because he is a slave of Christ. He's a servant of Christ. Now, that word slave, it still feels kind of, it still feels bad. I mean, it still feels like, I mean, you might be pushing that a little, little too far. And the reason it feels that way is because we have this mistaken idea that what I'm doing is I'm giving up my freedom to become a slave of Jesus Christ. The reality is that's not the case. You're already a slave. You're either a slave to your sin and to Satan, or you are a slave to Jesus Christ. You're one of the two. So this is not an idea where I'm thinking, hey, you know what? I'm just going to give up my freedom. You know, I'm not sure if I want to give up all my freedom. You don't have any freedom. When your master says come, you come. When your master says move, you move. The only question we're talking about here is will you give up that master for this master? Turn with me real quick. We're going to turn back in just a minute, but turn with me to Romans chapter six. Let me read this one verse to you. And then we'll turn back. In Romans chapter six, verse 17. You there? See, I had it marked, so I don't, what y'all... Y'all should have this stuff marked. In your, no, y'all didn't know I was coming. I'm just kidding. It says, but God be thanked. He tells them they're slaves. But God be thanked in verse 17, that you were the servants, same word, doulas, slave. You were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which was delivered you being made free from sin. What happened? You became the servant. Of righteousness. Go back to Philippians 1. There isn't anybody that is neutral. Okay? Get that out of your mind. No one is neutral. You're on one team or you're on the other team. It's as simple as that. You have a master. You are a slave. You're either a slave to your sin or you're a slave to the righteousness of Christ. It's one of the two. So get this idea out of your head of, you know what? I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about giving my life to this Jesus guy. I'm thinking about turning myself over. I'm thinking about giving up all my freedom and letting, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about trading one master who has nothing to offer you but death and destruction. He'll deceive you and he'll tell you, you know, this is good and this is the way you need to go and you don't have to worry about those things. But the way that he offers you will always end in death 
It'll always end in destruction. It'll always end in the to killing and stealing and destroying everything that you have in order to send you with him down into the pits of hell for eternity. That is your master. And you can change that master to the one who loves you, who gave his own life for you to save you from that, those pits of hell. And the one who has nothing but good in store for you. The one who works all things, works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So the idea that, you know what, I'm going to give up my freedom and just go to this Jesus. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying you have a master. And your master is a hard master and he's going to destroy you. He's going to lead you down the path of death. But you have another that desires to be your master. You can become his servant, his slave, and he has nothing but good, nothing but life. And in fact, he loved you so much, he gave his own life so that yours could be saved. He's not an oppressive master. He's not a master that's going to drive you. He's a master that died for you and calls you and will work in you and do the work through you by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. You have a master in Jesus, who is a good, a good master, but you have one or the other. You are a servant of a master. And so Paul says here, we're servants. We're slaves of Jesus Christ. The other phrase is, I, I really was going to blow past this first verse as if it was just on the outside of the envelope. The other phrase is saints in Christ Jesus. You see that? The servants of Christ Jesus to the saints in Christ Jesus. Servants of or saints in. You know what the word saint means? It, it comes from the word that's translated holy. So a saint is someone who is holy, a holy one, someone who has been made holy. That's what the word saint means. And it just amazes me. In Philippians, Paul loves the Philippians. He's going to tell them all kinds of things. And really this, this first sermon is just kind of an introduction to the book. He's going to talk to them. There's really no hard rebuke in, in Philippians. He's going to tell them about being joyful in circumstances and all, all doing all things in Christ, no matter what goes on, being humble and thinking of others more than yourself. He's going to give them these things. But right off the bat, he says, you guys, if you're in Christ Jesus, you're a saint. I mean, can you imagine? He said the same thing in Corinthians. Corinthians, the, in Corinth, Corinth was the most messed up church in the first century. I mean, they had everything wrong with them. They were divided in their little groups following different leaders. They were, had immorality and things going on in the church. Paul had to rebuke. They were messing up the Lord's Supper, the ordinance, and people were dying because they were taking it the wrong way. They were using their spiritual gifts in a wrong-headed fashion. Paul gives them rebuke after rebuke after rebuke. But still, at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, he says, saints. In Christ Jesus. Even though all these things are going on, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have been made holy. Do you see, do you see what he's saying? He, he's saying, look, you have been, we, we saw it over and over again through the book of 1 John. You have been made holy in Christ. But that's the thing. You and I are not saints. But we are saints in Christ Jesus. Do you see it? Saints in Christ Jesus. There's nothing about you that's saintly. You know, people say my mama was a saint. My grandmama was a saint. Only if she was in Christ Jesus. You don't want to say that to somebody who, but you know what I mean. 
You and I are not saints by any stretch of the imagination. Now, don't think saint is some exalted title that you make after you die or something like that. Being a saint, being a holy one is someone in the eyes of the Father who, has, who, who is holy and righteous, acceptable, blameless before God. You and I are not saints at all. But we are saints in Christ Jesus because he has given us his holiness. He has given us his righteousness. And so Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus that are at Philippi. The ones who have been made holy, the ones who have been born again. Now think about this for a minute. I'm going to put these two together in just a moment. No matter what is going on in the world. No matter what you're going through right now, there's a lot of worries, a lot of fears. We're, we're, we're going to talk about that as we move through Philippians. Uh, there was a lot of worries about what's going to happen to the church. What's going to happen to the gospel? What's going to happen to the kingdom? What's going to happen to Paul? A lot of worries today. What's going to happen to the world? There's a lot of worries in your own life, in your own, in your own relationships, in your own businesses, in your own homes. What's going to happen? How's this going to work out? All these worries swirling around your head, all these things going on. I don't know how I'm going to make it. The reality of what Paul says here is the one thing that you can be assured of is that if you have been born again, you are holy in Christ Jesus. And the father looks down at you and he sees righteousness and perfection. You are a saint in Christ. That that's crazy. With all the sins that I still see in my own heart, with all the ugliness that I still see in my own flesh, with all the, you know, I know my heart. You guys don't know anything about my heart. You know about what I show you and you know about what you see on the outside. But I know my own heart and you know your own heart. And it's pretty dead gum amazing that in Scripture... All those who are born again, whether they be in Corinth, whether they be in Thessalonica, whether they be in Philippi, wherever they be. When they received one of these letters, it says those who are in Christ Jesus are saints. I don't know about you, but when I said slaves of Christ Jesus, that automatically, I know it did for you because it did for me as well. It triggered something that said, whoa, that's that's kind of. I don't know if I, you know, as we explained it, you were like, yeah, that's, that's probably right. But that initial reaction was like, whoa, I don't know if I'm going to be a slave. But when I said saint, that felt good. That's right. I'm a saint. When the reality is that's where we should have said, whoa, are you kidding? I'm a saint. I, God looks at me and he sees a saint. Are you kidding? I know my own heart. I know my own mind. A saint? You must be out of your mind. I mean, that's amazing. That's absolutely amazing because I know who I am. I know my own heart. I know my own mind. I know exactly what my flesh is capable of. I know what I'm capable of. And I know the things that still reside in me. And I say, a saint? Man, Jesus is powerful, isn't he? His gospel, his cross, his resurrection, his death, his ascension is powerful to make me holy, to make you holy, saints in Christ Jesus. No matter what worries that we have, no matter what things that we fight with, no matter what, how the flesh is fighting against the spirit in us 
and we think, man, I've blown it today. I failed so bad. The father looks at me and he sees what? Saint. Holy one. Are you kidding? He sees a holy one. That's something that he is going to emphasize throughout Philippians. And it's something that you and I can never, never allow ourselves to deny. Because that's the foundation of all that we are. If you have been born again by the Spirit of God. Now look, there's a fine line right here and I'm going to explain it to you. If you have been born again by the Spirit of God. We can't ever allow the sufficiency of Christ's death to be questioned in our own life. No, he's good enough. But if you have not been born again by the Spirit of God, the most dangerous thing in the world that you can do is say, you know what, it's all good because Jesus died. There's a fine line between assurance and presumption. Between being assured who you are in Christ and just presuming that everything's okay. And that line is being supernaturally born again by the Spirit of God. On one side, you have those who are saints that can never lose that sainthood, can never, can never be taken away from them, can never, uh, their inheritance is, is uncorruptible. There's nothing that can tarnish it. And on the other side, you have people that are so hard to evangelize. Because no matter what you say, they say, well, it's all good. Everything's fine. The key is the two things go together. Paul is, this is where we're in. Paul is writing this letter. I know we didn't get past the first verse. Paul is writing this letter not as, he is writing it as an apostle to the church. So that's, he is doing that. But in his address, he is addressing them as friends, people that he loves, people that he knows. People that know him. He was there with them. He started the church. He began the ministry there. He worked with them. He, he knows them and he loves them. You're going to see that over and over again as we walk through Philippians. He's addressing them as one believer to another believer. To other believers. And so both. Both go together. You can't have one without the other. You can't be a saint in Christ Jesus. If you're not a servant of Christ Jesus. You understand? You can't have one without the other. You can't be walking around going, you know what? It's all good. I'm a saint in Christ Jesus. Everything's fine. But there is nowhere in your life that you're a servant to Christ Jesus. There's nowhere in in your life where you say, you know what? He's called me here and this is what I'm going to do. It's easy for us to say, you know what? God's called me here when it's something that's fun. When it's something that's easy. When it's something that we really want to do anyway. But what if he calls you like he called Paul to prison? I mean, that would stink. I'm too pretty to go to prison. Yeah, wake up. That's a joke. What if he calls you to deny yourself and to take up your cross? What if he calls you to be slandered? What if he calls you to lose all your friends? What if he calls you to have to change jobs? What if he calls you... To die. You can't be a saint in Christ. You can't, you, you're a saint in Christ when you're born again. But the evidence that you've been born again and that you're a saint in Christ is that you're also a servant of Christ.
The two go together. Don't claim that you're a saint if you're not a servant. Both are characteristic of what, who we are as a people of God. Servants of Christ, slaves of Christ, but also saints in Christ. You can't have one without the other. So the question today is simply, who's your master? I mean, you've heard that question many times before from this pulpit. Who is your master? You've got one. You've got one or the other. You can't serve both and you can't serve neither. One of them is your master. Today, you're going to walk out those doors. You're either a servant to Jesus Christ or you're a servant to your master, Satan, and the sin that dwells within you. One of the two is your master. You're not free. You're not without a master. Let me put it that way. You have a master and when he calls, you go to him. You can pretend that Jesus is my master, but when your true master calls, you come a running every single time. You can't say I'm a saint without being a servant. Who's your master today? Father, we love you. We come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you've revealed to 